Welcome to Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs, a podcast where we shine a light on the unique grief of special needs parents that few people recognize and no one really talks about. I'm your host, Laura Kitts. How do we live a beautiful life with chronic stress and grief? How do we nurture ourselves while we nurture our children? How do we make ourselves a priority when they need so much? My guests and I will discuss this chronic, ever-renewing grief, transforming your dreams, and how to take care of yourself along the way when parenting a differently abled child. This episode is sponsored by Flight Club. Join a circle of friends who understand you and your life as a special needs parent. Combine that with monthly guest experts, live self-care accountability sessions with me, and easy, actionable assignments to help you emerge from the hard work, transformed, just as the butterfly from her chrysalis, and you've got Flight Club. Brandy Lennon is the mom of five children, ages 10, 9, 6, 4, and 5 months. Her 10-year-old son, Davon, is diagnosed with autism, and her 9-year-old daughter, Lyric, is diagnosed with autism, ADHD, and possibly disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Brandy shares with us how raising her children was the catalyst and ongoing motivation for her to heal her own childhood trauma and PTSD. We discuss how after hitting bottom, she was able to work through her own healing with the help of therapy and determination to do the work. Thank you for listening as we discuss shame, grief, healing from trauma, and the best way that other people can support ones they love who are walking through the hard places in life. Let's get to it. Good morning, Brandy. Good morning. I'm excited to talk with you today. So we haven't actually ever met before, but I've been following you on social media on Instagram for a long time. Like, I don't even know how long, maybe, maybe a year, maybe not quite a year, something like that. Do you have any, it's been about a, it's been about a year. I believe it was the video that I posted essentially of me having a breakdown after one of my daughter's hardcore (laughs) meltdowns. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know how I happened to see that video. If it was a hashtag or something, I don't know why you came across my feed, but, um, but I, in reading your story, got the gist that your daughter had some sort of disabilities. And as a parent of a child with special needs, I deeply related to what you're sharing um, with that very painful post. And I was really drawn in by, um, you know, your vulnerable, your vulnerability to show that publicly. And as I've gotten to know you a little better from your, you know, just from Instagram, over the last year, I admire that about you. And I appreciate that a lot, um, that you're willing to be authentic, you know, and to share your truth with people because it only helps other people when we're able to do that, because we all are going through stuff and we're all having painful moments. And so often we hide them and we're embarrassed or shamed or in some way feeling like we can't share with people, but, um, it's what really matters. You know, it's what really brings us together. So, um, we kind of got heavy, right, right away in this conversation. Let's back up, let's back up a minute. (laughs) That's kind of just how my life works anyways. It's just, it's all heavy. (laughs) Well, I just, you know, I just want to thank you for, for that presence that you have on social media. Um, well, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, it's important and I value it. And I I just want to say thank you for sharing that. So, so let's back up a minute and say, you know, who, who, who is Brandy Lennon and, you know, who are you as a person, as a mom, tell us about your family, where do you live, all the basics. Um, Well, I was born and raised in Idaho and I'm still here. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully that changes. Eventually, I would like to branch out and have my children have more experiences and you know, for me, Idaho, it's, it's a lot of trauma for me. A lot of, a lot of my past is all of it. It's here. And so leaving is, is ideal for me, but 
I digress. Um, I am a mom of five now. Yeah, my oldest yeah. is 10. He'll be 11 next month. Uh, and my youngest will be five months old in a couple of days. Little tiny cutie nugget. Yeah, she's, she's, um, she's wonderful. <laughs> she's exactly what we needed to round out our little family. So, um, so your oldest uh, is 11, you said? Yes, he, uh, Davon, he's 11. Okay. Um, he was diagnosed with autism when he was three years old. Okay. And there was a lot going on in our lives at that time, but I knew something was not wrong with him, but there was something going on with him. You know what I mean? Um, I would babysit my friends. I would babysit my friends daughter and she was reaching milestone after milestone after milestone and I recognized that my son really wasn't where he should be for his age with speaking and his motor skills um and so I talked to the doctor and she referred us to someone who could do that kind of interview testing and it just became like this train it just railroaded through and we got a diagnosis and he began services and he's been in them ever since and he's made leaps and bounds right um my daughter lyric she just turned nine in june and um her diagnosis took a little bit longer it took about five years because doctor after doctor said she's just a girl she's just emotional Hmm. they didn't they didn't look at it as there's something chemically going on. There's something, you know, happening. It was just, she's just over emotional because she's a female. Wow. That they're already, you know, starting that bullshit line. Yeah. In five they years. told me I saw autism everywhere because my son had been diagnosed with autism. And I'm like, no, if this is autism, it's presenting itself completely differently. I just want to know so I can make sure she has the best support yeah. as well. So is her diagnosis autism or something else? Um, we, we officially have the diagnosis of autism and ADHD. Okay. Um, DMDD got disruptive mood dysregulation disorder got thrown in there. Um, but they're, they're kind of sitting on the fence with that one. I'm not because I see it every day. Um, I, I truly believe that that's, part of what's going on the the sensory stuff um the socialization stuff that definitely is rooted in the autism but the the behavioral stuff is so extreme that it doesn't I don't know I'm I've only experienced the autism that I've experienced I I can't speak you know as the full spectrum because I only know the portion that I experienced um so <laughs> well, and, the, and there's this this quote that I love that says if you've met one person with autism then you've met one person with autism yeah and so yeah that's exactly what you said you can only speak with what you with what you know but there's something there yeah yeah there's definitely something there where Davon is antisocial she is overly social to a dangerous extent I see right I understand um but the biggest concern for me, I wasn't worried about that. I, I know the we've learned um, techniques and ways to help with the socialization part, the communication part, you know, those kinds of things. For me, with Lyric, the, the, the biggest issue was the behaviors. And they kept escalating as she was getting older. And it took until she was in school and throwing them at throwing the huge gigantic fits at school, throwing chairs, hitting people, going after things, disrupting class every single day that people were like, so what's going on? I'm like, I've been wondering the same thing. (laughs) And they were finally able to start testing for pretty much everything because they didn't know what to tell me. And I I kept. Well, that helped validate your concerns and your thoughts yes it didn't really kind of be a catalyst for getting further testing and evaluation yeah it didn't help or maybe it did but she had a really not so great teacher that school year in first grade and um she kind of 
exacerbated lyrics behaviors by being very rigid and no empathy whatsoever. It was just this child is in my class. She's being disruptive. I want her out. So she would send her to the office every day for everything. She would argue with lyrics. She would make a spectacle of the whole thing and just made it worse and worse and worse. And at one point in a meeting, because I tried to get her a behavioral IEP and the school said no. And at that meeting, she told me that having my daughter in her class was like having a boulder in a backpack that she had to carry around. And as her mom, I, I have my own trauma and, and using my voice, which I'm able to do much better now, but it was very hard for me to use my voice. And unfortunately that included when it came to standing up for my kids. And so at the time I didn't really say much um, but that next school year and I went back and I made sure that my child was in a class with a teacher that was going to appreciate her, um, respect her boundaries and have patience. Yeah. I just, I'm, you know, I'm, it's shocking, but it's not surprising, sadly, yeah. to hear about that teacher. Um, it's shocking because how can anyone, you know, teach first grade, no less who's a, in a field <laughs> where your whole entire job is to love and support and help nurture and grow children. <laughs> yeah. can, you, know, you think, how can anyone in that sort of profession not truly love and value children as individuals and see them, you know, for all that they are and and who they are and, and all that they need support with. And it's just, it's just so disheartening. And, and I think as a mom, my heart just breaks to, for yeah. you, you know, to hear that story. And, and you described, you know, that you were really trying to heal a lot of your own trauma and weren't able to have the voice for her in that moment that you, that you now feel, you know, you've got, you said you've gotten better at, and maybe you, yeah. you could have had for her in that moment, but what did that do to you and your trauma to your own, you know, your just your own self, what, what you're carrying all, all the heartache that you already have as a mom dealing with. I mean, I know that every day when you have a child with behaviors like that, a child who's aggressive, um, you know, my daughter can be in that space as well. So I, I understand how that feels and it's, it's very triggering. It's very yeah. triggering to, to our own, PTSD, our own trauma that we carry, um, be it from other wounds that we've had, or be it from the trauma that's invoked from our kids um, in those violent moments. What, you know, where do you see, how, how did you think you got from just that year to the next year feeling like you were able to walk in and advocate for her and make sure she had the teacher she needed? What did that journey look like? How did you get um, in just the space of a year um, you know, when I got pregnant with my first kid, I, it was a very rough time in my life. I had just gotten divorced from my ex-husband. I got married at 19. It was very young. Um, and I had just gotten divorced from him in December. And I was like, I'm going to go do all the things that I never got to do. I, I was one of those kids that I followed the rules. I never snuck out. I, you know, I did everything right, but, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I got pregnant with my son and instantly panicked. <laughs> um, I broke up with the guy that um, was the father. And then my mother got reported to CPS by someone about my little brother and the living conditions. And she thought it was me. So she told me that I was dead to her and she no longer had a daughter. So here I am with this baby and no circle, <laughs> no circle. I ended up uh, homeless for about the first six months, couch surfing when I could. And um, I made the decision, that's when my healing started. I made the decision that my emotional baggage, my crap was not going to be the responsibility of my child 
And that's where that's where it all started. And then there was more panic as the due date got closer and everybody's like, just get married. It's going to be better for you, better for the baby. So we, in fact, got married. (laughs) That was not the smartest choice. But if I had not gotten married to this man, I would not have my daughter either. So it worked out the way that it was supposed to. Um, But throughout my marriage to him and everything that that encapsulated, I continued to just lose my voice and lose my sense of self. Because when my son was diagnosed, my life became about him and his appointments and all of that kind of stuff. And then the transition from ending that relationship and finding myself in a new one, which probably wasn't the healthiest choice either, but <laughs> it ended up working out because we're all, we're married now and things are fine. But um, my daughter's behavior started about when she was three. And that's when I started asking questions and they, they're like, well, we'll put you in speech therapy. And she screamed the entire hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this isn't working. <laughs> we need something else. So it was a lot of me losing myself within my children and within my responsibilities. I, I cut, finally cut ties with my mom and she was very narcissistic. So she would not let that go. That was, it was heavy. It was very heavy. We ended up being homeless for a year. So by the time my daughter, my kids started actual brick and mortar school, We had just come out of homelessness. I had completely severed ties with my mother. I had raised my teenage brother and he was now moving out. Um, My boyfriend and I were moving towards engagement, but we hadn't made it yet. (laughs) Um, And I had started therapy. I had come through postpartum psychosis. Mm. I had... I can talk about it now, yeah. but I had okay. plans to end not only my life, but the lives of my children. And um, coming out of that was the hardest thing I have ever experienced in my life. I think what? it shattered my entire world. Yeah. And the positive thing that came out of that was my therapist at the time offered me EMDR therapy. And she says, now this can bring up a lot of stuff, (laughs) but if you feel like you're ready to go through it, then we will go through it. And I figured I've been through the worst of it at this point. I can do this. And I met my inner child. Mm. There was, um, there was a room. It was the room that my first trauma was experienced in. And, um, Over time, I was able to get into the room. There started to become light. She started to smile again. And when I had to start going to the school for my daughter for her behaviors and the teacher kept saying she's just a bad kid or, you know, all this stuff, it made me shrink again. It made me feel really small because um, it brought up those feelings that I'm not, I'm not allowed to be confrontational. I'm not allowed to express what I'm feeling. I'm not allowed to advocate for myself. And my daughter is part of me. And I felt conflicted. I felt guilt, I felt shame. Um, And no one, I told everybody what was happening and what was going on. And no one told me that I was a bad mom. No one told me that I was failing. No one told me that I was doing the wrong thing. So I guess I just started doing the work. I started journaling. I started looking for answers that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in a Quaker-based Christian church. And for me personally, it didn't feel right. It didn't fit for me. So I started branching out. I started looking for other answers that would make sense to me and would make me feel like home. Do you know what I mean? It's, it wasn't a matter of finding something to believe in. I wanted to feel like I was home in my own self. And I ended up finding those things and finding those answers 
And slowly that gave me strength. It gave me determination. It gave me, it gave me a sense of peace, I think. And when people would ask me in the past, like, you know, what steps did you take to get to where you are? And I don't like to, to view it as steps personally. Um, because the, it's not linear, it's fluid. It, it changes and evolves and it moves and it goes in and out like waves. So for me, the first, I guess, three aspects of my healing and getting to where I am now is self-awareness, uh, self-acceptance, and then came the self-love. Mm. Because I couldn't accept was I, what I wasn't aware of and I couldn't love what I couldn't accept. So it became that whole thing. And I still struggle, you know, all the time. You follow me on social media. <laughs> what I share, I definitely have my ups and downs, but as my daughter's behaviors have progressed and stuff, her triggering me, I thought my PTSD and depression and all of that was in a little box. It was just mine. It was in a little box all wrapped up and I just had to work probably for the rest of my life to heal all of my box. I didn't know that I was getting new PTSD. Yeah. I didn't know that I was experiencing new trauma and having things added to my nice wrapped little box of things. Right. Um, it was actually you in that group that you added me to um, where we were talking about our self-care and what that looks like and what our lives where we make time and room and space for ourselves and stuff like that. And it just got me to thinking, where is the space for me and how is my daughter's behavior taking up that space? And it just hit me, I guess, like a strike of lightning that like she's triggering my stuff. And that's why I'm feeling, I guess, abused, you could say. Um, and I, I told people that I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship with my daughter. Right. And I had people that's tell me, yeah, that's a big statement. That's, that's really heavy, but I get it. Yeah. I had people tell me, you shouldn't think like that. You shouldn't word it like that. I'm like, but what else is it? I am physically and verbally abused on a regular basis to the point where I find myself crying in the bathroom um, not eating, not taking care of myself, doing the bare minimum for myself, much less the other children in my house, because I have five kids total. They're getting emotionally abused by their sister, whom they love beyond measure. And it's, and we live in a tiny, tiny apartment. There's no space. There's no outside where they can, you know, escape or get away so we created the system where if I say code red they go to my room they have their snacks they watch tv while I manage what's happening in the rest of the apartment and that seems to work for us but it starts to make you lose hope that there will that there will be friends that there will be sleepovers that there will be relationships outside of family um and I get terrified and this is really heavy and I apologize and if it's too much I understand but I get terrified that one day I will find my daughter gone mm. because it's too much for her that is heavy. because her behaviors as hard as they are for me watching her experience them I can't even imagine. Yeah. There's I can't imagine. So many layers, right? There's so many layers for us as parents. <clears throat> we started talking about how it, how it triggers our own, our own trauma and our own PTSD. But then your mom, like she's your baby. Yeah. She's your girl. And all we want is the very best for our children. That's what any parent wants for their children, for their child. You know, we just want them to be happy. We want them to have friends. We want them to feel loved by society and by their community and by classmates and teachers and, yeah. and, and the heartbreak 
that we feel as moms with that feeling that we may never see those things for our kids. That's just a whole nother layer of grief. Yeah. Another layer. Well, when she's having the worst of it and she's crying and she's coming out of it and she says, I don't know why my brain does this. Why am I like this? I don't want to be a bad kid. I don't. She goes through this whole layer of deprecation every time that there's a meltdown and she's coming out of it. And, you know, no matter how many times, and I will always tell her that she's not a bad kid and that it's not her fault and it's not within her control. The only thing that's within her control is how she responds to it. And we, excuse me, we go over the techniques and the breathing and the everything that she's learned that she knows, but when she's in those moments, she can't get to them. It's like, she can't be reached. It's like, she's trapped in her mind and I can't get to her until she slowly comes out of it. And by that time, she's just so exhausted and so overwhelmed. And that's what terrifies me the most is watching that process just continue to get worse and worse and worse as she gets older and not, not know what to do. And she clearly has had lots of therapy. You know, if you have all these techniques, you, you know, you've been in therapy for years and um, yeah. What, what kind of supports is she able to have right now, like through school or, or outside of school? Um, well, last year during the pandemic, I was a crazy person and decided to sign my kids up for virtual school. <laughs> that was, you know, what? last year made everyone crazy. Was, <laughs> nobody knew what to do. It was horrible. So you made yeah. the right decision in the moment that you could for your family. Um, but through that virtual school, I was able to get her an IEP. So now she has that support in school. Okay. That's right. Okay. I I totally kind of brain fogged the whole thing that they wouldn't give her an IEP before. Yeah. They said, um, the week they did the testing. Yeah. The week they did the testing, she had a good week. Oh, for the love. And academically, she's a very, you know, she's a very smart little girl. Oh, but the week they did the testing, they thought she's, she's fine. She'll be fine. So they gave her a, um, a 504. A 504. Okay. She had some. But that was it. Okay. I'm so like, no, she needs an IEP. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So we have that support in school now. Um, she currently gets CBRS. What's that? Um, oh, goodness. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, it's a behavioral assistance type thing where... Um, they will come and pick Lyric up and take them out and take her out in the community. Um, and she has goals set that she needs to meet. They work on the appropriate socialization, um, communication skills, those breathing techniques, um, all of that kind of stuff to help. So I've never heard of that. CBRS is that what CBRS? I cannot for the life you know of you tell I'm you sure what those the letters. CB are. is for community based because that's an acronym I'm familiar with. Yes, community based resource program, something like that. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> and 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 at her age, because in my experience where I live, that sort of thing isn't typically done. Um, you know, till they're older. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I remember when I was a kid, I got the same program. It was titled something else back then, but I kind of got the same program. They would come pick me up and take me out and we'd talk about my issues and, you know, I'd learn ways to calm myself and stuff because I, again, I was raised by a narcissist and Mm -hmm. life was not the easiest when I was a child. So, but yeah, she gets the CBRS. She was getting counseling, um, but there was too much on the plate because she was getting CBRS respite, um, which is essentially a friend that came and picked her up and took her out and they did fun things and then came back home. Mm-hmm. And then um, HI and HS. What are those? Those are support programs that pretty much do the same thing as CBRS, but they're more long-term. The goals are set for longer terms. And um 
they can, they too go out in the community and work on goals. They teach techniques. Um, they kind of push the boundaries a little further, push the kids past their comfort zone a little bit to see to the goal is to get growth. Help there. Yeah. Um, HI is intervention, I believe. And the HS is support. Hmm. I probably should have looked these up before this, but I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, gosh, the the people who see, I have a lot of listeners who don't have children with special needs, and I, and I have a lot who do, and so it's a, it's a mix, and so I'm always trying to, you know, make sure we're helping those who who don't necessarily walk in our shoes to help them to better understand our life, and that's why they listen so that they can better understand and support the people who they encounter and who they might have in their lives, you know. Um, who, who are more aligned with, with the path that you and I walk, but, um, there are so many acronyms in special education. It is <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. like everything in the, under the sun is an acronym. And so, and then now I'm learning, you know, it, it varies based on where you live. There's more thing, you know, like you have these programs that, that I don't have. So I'm not familiar with those acronyms. Well, you, you might have, they just might, you might have them. They just might be under a different acronym. <laughs> That's true. They just might call it something else, a similar program. Yeah. So anyway, just, yeah, trying to make sure everyone who's listening is, you know, uh, in the loop as well as I <laughs> um, for, for what, what these things are, but that's, that sounds good. So she's got a lot of support. She has a lot of things, you know, yeah. and, but it doesn't take it away. You know, some days are still hard, right? Yeah. Well, we, I made, we made the decision last year to start med management because I had tried every homeopathic option that came across my path because I was, I'm not anti-medication. I was just, let's see if we can get her to puberty because everything changes, whether it gets better, whether it gets worse, like that's a big change for a little body. And I was trying really hard to hold off until then. And then she started going after her brother with knives and scissors. And I'm like, we can't wait anymore we have to do something bigger than oils and, you know, ashwagandha and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So she started Risperidone first. And that seemed to help over time. And we've adjusted her meds. I believe she's due for another adjustment because the behaviors are coming back full fold. Um, And then she's also on the guanfacine to help with her ADHD and her attention and stuff. So it's, it's scary because now she's also having um, insulin resistance, which can be a side effect of the Risperidone. Mm. And I'm caught between, do I take her off of this medication to help heal her body? Or do I keep it on so her mind does not overwhelm her and then treat the body with other things. Right. It's, it's layer upon layer upon layer for us. And that's what so many people don't understand, you know, and then you, you're watching, you, yeah, you start meds because you need them. Like it's time, you know, you've exhausted every other approach and um, then there's the side effects and then there's, well, maybe this one isn't working as well. And then you have to wean off of it. And then you have to yeah. gradually start another one to try. I mean, it's an exhausting process, but if you have a really good psychiatrist or, you know, doctor who's helping you with that med management, it's typically a psychiatrist who's, you know, really manages all the medications for people who aren't aware. Um, if you've got a really good one who will just stick with you for everything and really hear you um, and trust in what you see, you know, as far as changes, then you can get there, you know? Yeah. It takes years. And like you said, then puberty hits and you're like, sometimes you feel like you just want to take them all off and start over again. (laughs) It's just, it is an exhausting process, but there is, there is hope you can find, you know, the balance between the homeopathic and the meds and the, yeah, we still use the homeopathic as support 
um, yeah. just you know the pro yeah. the probiotics, the the oils, the everything. Just so she has a plethora of things that she herself can do. So she feels like she's included in her own healthcare. Like, because I don't want it to be here. Just take these pills. Yeah, I want her to understand what they're for, why she's taking them, and how they help her. Um, she also has some pretty significant paranoia um, and anxiety. And so we have to go over and over and over and over the details of everything because she has to know all the ins, all the outs, every possible outcome, which I completely understand because trauma gave me that as well. Yeah. So we relate on that end of things. Um, but I'm... I'm very much an advocate for mental wellness and, and mental health. And it's very, very important to me. So making sure that my kids have the support that they need gives me the support as well. Um, it makes it feel like I'm not doing this by myself and I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because of those special needs that they have, I'm not able to work. I have to be available at all times. If something comes up, I have to drop everything and go. Um, So my husband is the one that works the long hours and he's a massive support for me when he's home. He kind of takes over with the kids because he knows I can't get a break really. Um, So he kind of just, he starts changing all the diapers and making all the meals and does the vacuuming and the laundry and, you know, things like that because if I didn't have that, I, I don't know how I would cope. Yeah, you could. I have a couple friends. I have one best friend whom unfortunately I'm not able to see as much as I would like to. <laughs> but um, it's, it's hard because people are like, oh, let me take the kids for a little while. Or why don't I hang with the kids while you'll, you go do this? And I can be gone maybe an hour or two, three or four at most. But my head's always at home. It's always worrying, spinning with the worry, right? Yeah. It's so tell tell us about your other two kids. We, we know you've three. got the well, we know you've got the tiny baby. I'm assuming oh, yeah. <laughs> a, I'm assuming she doesn't have a whole lot to, of a story to tell just yet. And not really. <laughs> we've got two I mean, others that we haven't heard about at all. Her birth was a little traumatic, but <laughs> the, yeah. the other two, uh, they're both boys. Xavier just turned six last month and Caspian will be five in March. And they are, they are, uh, Xavier's like a big hug. He's, <laughs> he's, he's very sweet and very empathetic and very gentle um Caspian he is the Hulk he's just this massive he's four years old right now and he's the size of a seven-year-old wow he's a big kid he's tall he's solid um and he can be the biggest pain in the butt (laughs) but he's also the most gentle of the kiddos like every morning his first thing is he run and if the baby's awake he'll run in to her bed and say, good morning, Clivey. And he's like, kisses. And he'll kiss her on the forehead. And um, I don't know, each of my kids is so special and so magical. And there's so many things I love about each of them. Those two kind of have absorbed some of the behaviors, unfortunately. So trying to help them unlearn that <laughs> while they're still going on is kind of hard. But um, the fact that my kids are able to experience the harshness that we experience sometimes, and they still manage to be kind and empathetic and loving and gentle is just, I don't know. It's just wonderful to see and to watch. Mm-hmm. There is something remarkable about the siblings, right? The siblings who are typically developing and don't have any sort of disability. The empathy that they come out on the other side with is truly extraordinary. And they grow to be very, very special people. I just wish the rest of the world (laughs) were like the siblings, you know? 
they could witness their worst moments and only see the best parts of them. I think um, at one point, a couple of years ago, I had tried starting a nonprofit organization and I got everything, everything, but my 501c3. Or is it five or four? You know what I mean, the tax part. (laughs) I got everything but that and then the pandemic hit. And then our landlord's like, hey, we're selling the house. You have to move out. (laughs) So everything went towards that. And um, my main goal with that was going to be integrating mental health and mental awareness into schools, into organizations, just making it more available for education because you can't understand what you don't know. Right. And you can't accept what you don't understand. So it's hard for people to really wrap their brains around what we experience, what the kids experience, um, because they don't have, most people don't have the desire to go out and find that information. Right. Or, or overwhelmed with their situation that, yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Um, or they, or they tend to minimize it because it makes them uncomfortable to hear about. So they will, yes, <laughs> they yes. will minimize it so by much assuming that. it's so not much that. that. <laughs> like, I get that it's uncomfortable for you to hear about, but I'm a single person that absorbs this on a daily basis and I need to let it out somewhere. And it's hard to find your tribe of people. It is. Because even with, within the special needs community as parents, we're all experiencing this differently. And so it's hard to take ourselves out of what we're experiencing to put ourselves in the position of the other person and absorb what they're telling us. And if we don't do that, we're literally just giving each other trauma. <laughs> because it's I I had to I mean it all then just hinges on our ability to take care of ourselves yeah you know you started you know this conversation talking about how you had completely lost yourself and then when you had kids you completely lost yourself and your kids and then you started to you know figure out how to find yourself again but then there's this roller coaster where i i heard at some point you know in the story you were telling you kind of lost that again and had to be reminded again um you know in the group that that you joined in with me uh and that was a a, a challenge that i was running one week just about self care right for for parents of kids with special needs and and so it it is this roller coaster though that we're that we're on and we just have to try our best to flatten those hills as much as we can. I think, you know, try to create that balance yeah. as much as we can. And that's through, I think, you know, the three things you said earlier, first one, I think was awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you're right that it all starts with having to be aware and really tuning into your own body and that mindful piece, that mindfulness piece of really valuing ourselves and valuing our worth that we're worth, you know, being looked at, we're worth spending time on, we're worth being able to sit down and put our feet up and take a break. We're worth, um, you know, somebody else changing the diapers and us being able to, yeah. Well, and time to breathe. And with that, with that worth also comes permission. We're allowed to take care of ourselves. We're allowed to be in these feelings we're allowed to ask for help we're allowed to accept help yes and the receiving of the help is really 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 hard for so many of us oh my goodness I am that person (laughs) receiving of the help is so hard for so many of us and that I just I discovered that last year about myself when I was getting married my best friend um who aside from my husband is like my person. Um, she was doing so much for my wedding. It was going to be very, very small. It's a pandemic. It was in somebody's backyard, you know, um, but she was doing so much and I was overwhelmed by the love that I was receiving and I didn't know how to accept it. So I just kept saying, no, you don't have to do that. I wouldn't ask for anything. I was just like, mm, no, 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 no. And she didn't stop. She would not stop giving me love. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yay <laughs> and for I her. Just, 
I'm like, I need to, I need to give it back. I need to pay it back. And then I need to pay it forward. And then I need, you know, I had, I kept thinking about all the things I had to do in order to be worthy of and receive this love. And I just stopped. I just stopped doing the things I stopped worrying about whether she was going to suddenly find me not worthy. And I just started to accept it. And it's still a struggle. Every once in a while, I struggle to let people love me, let people be there for me, let them support me. Um, because it's a thing you have to, when you've experienced trauma or whether you, you know, have experienced any type of hardship really, that it's okay if I'm not in control all the time. <laughs> it's okay if things don't go as planned. It's, it's okay. And it's kind of for lack of a better term, it becomes this bucket mentality. <laughs> Just, yeah. You know, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> well, you know, and 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 even you know, parents who who might not feel that they have any sort of childhood trauma that that they're carrying, our experiences with our kids are traumatic for so many of us. Many many of us have traumatic yeah. birth, birth stories with our special needs kids. Many of us have traumatic diagnosis stories with our special needs kids. Many of us experience trauma, like you described through behavior and aggression and violence at home on a daily basis um, with our kids. And so, so well, and you were the first person to verbalize that there's grief. Like I, I had thought those things before, but I had never been able to like put it in words before. And when you said that there's grief that comes with being a special needs parent, I, that shook me a little bit because I felt selfish for a moment because I'm like, yeah, I did have these ideas and plans for my kids and, and concepts of who I thought they were going to be and, and what they were going to be like and what it was going to be like to be their mom. You know, I had, when I got pregnant with a girl, I was so excited. I'm like, we're going to go get our nails done every once in a while. We're going to go shopping. We're going to do all these things. And my son ended up being really nerdy, which is amazing. And so I'm like, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to play video games and read books and all this kind of stuff. And we still do those things to an extent, but I, with Lyric, I've never been able to take her out to go get her nails done. I've, I've never been able to do all uh, many of the things that I had envisioned for us. And the, it, with each stage, there's a new level of grief, grief that has to be processed and worked through and accepted. Um, I don't like the whole there's stages of grief because again, it is like the ocean. There are waves. <laughs> Some days the water is cool and calm. Yeah. Around and around and around. Yes. Yeah. So um, the, the grief in itself is also very traumatic yeah. because you don't expect to lose things at the beginning. Right. Very true. There's a lot. That's a lot. What advice would you give? What would you tell people who are listening that, that aren't a, a parent of a child with disabilities or special needs? What, what do you want other people? I call them muggles. The, the, <laughs> the regular people that roam the earth with, you know, no idea that us magical creatures exist. Um, what, what would you say to the muggles out there um, who are listening? You know, empathy and, and kindness and patience are very, very important for everyone. Um, but for me, one of the most important things is just try. Try to understand. Try to I don't know, not try to be there without taking over, you know, try asking what do you need or how can I help not let me do this or I'm going to come do this or I'm going to take care of this for you because honestly, on a lot of days, the video that you found me in was one of those days where I just wanted somebody to be there because I just felt so alone. You know, my husband was gone. It was just me and the kids and she had had a whopper of a meltdown and I just wanted someone to sit with me in that moment. So I had support. Like 
a lot of people view support as having someone there to do things for you or, or pick you up or say the right thing or do the right thing. Honestly, just your existence, just your presence to know that I'm not alone in this moment. There is love here. There is compassion here for me. Cause my, I, you know, we do our best to give our kids all of those things, but then in the worst moments, it's just us. It's just us. And we, we have this social media world. That's wonderful where you meet amazing people like yourself and we become this community online. But when the electronics are turned off and the kids are in bed, it's just us. And it's so loud. It's It's so loud. loud. Yeah. The silence is deafening, isn't it? The silence is deafening. It's so lonely. It is. Yeah. Cause we can have, you know, I don't have a big circle anymore. Part of my healing process was clearing a lot of that out. Um, I still have many people I love in my life, but I, my circle is small and I could, I could have dozens and dozens of friends and people who love me saying that they love me and offering me support and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's hard to explain the loneliness, loneliness, sorry. So if I was going to ask, tell anybody, any advice, just be there for people, just be there in the capacity that they need you. And if you can't do that, don't offer to be. Mm-hmm. And that's completely understandable. Like if you, if you don't have the capacity to be here for me, the way that I need you to be there for me, that's fine. I respect your boundaries and I respect your limits, but don't come in and try and be everything for me when uh, I just, I just need your presence. That's it. I just need to know I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's that it's the, it's the being present. It's just being present and holding space yeah some i don't need a solution i don't need right i don't need you to fix things i just yeah because you can't you can't fix it (laughs) yeah it's it's not gonna it's not gonna just change (laughs) yeah well that's beautiful thank you so much brandy brandy um i really enjoyed talking with you this morning i enjoyed talking with you too thank you 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 are a wonderful and amazing human being. And I am grateful that your existence traveled into mine. <laughs> oh, that is lovely. Thank you so very much. I take that. I appreciate, I that. I I appreciate that. what you do. <laughs> I too am working on receiving. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more about how to take care of yourself along your parenting journey, or how you can better support those special needs parents in your life, you can follow me on social media, Lara Kitts on Facebook and at Lara.Kitts on Instagram. And that is spelled L-A-R-A-K-I-T-T-S. I also have a blog on my website that's worth subscribing to. Check it out at LaraKitts.com. Until next time, take care of yourself.